You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It is Monday, January the 13th, 2020, and it is a BOL daybreak here on the Built by Bama online podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you three times per week. We do these on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Try to get you through the week. Try to get those days off to semi-entertaining and informational starts for you when it comes to the Alabama Crimson side and perhaps beyond to an extent, whether it's the Southeastern Conference or the national sports landscape in general. But we've got a lot to get to on this edition of BOL Daybreak. It starts with it being a college football playoff national championship Monday that does not include the Alabama Crimson Tide. That's shocking in and of itself, isn't it? We're talking about for the first time since the first time that we had a college football playoff national championship game that the Alabama Crimson Tide will not be a part of the proceedings. Those, of course, set for tonight down at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana, between a couple of Tigers. You got two Tigers down there in the French Quarter this evening. The Clemson Tigers, defending national champions, taking on what is essentially a homestanding LSU team uh, down there in NOLA. So we'll get a little bit into that game uh, a little bit later on in uh, this edition of Daybreak, maybe give you some thoughts on that game and perhaps predict a winner as well. But it's been a busy weekend. We're coming off a busy weekend uh, from the Alabama perspective. Uh, mixed bag on the basketball front. You had the Alabama men's team up in Lexington, Kentucky on Saturday. That was a late Saturday morning tip-off. The Crimson Tide battled, just couldn't shoot it well enough from three. This is a three-point shooting basketball team as we understand it. Uh, Four of 21 from beyond the three-point arc. And you got to give some of the credit to a Kentucky team that year in and year out, the things that you can count on from Kentucky is that they are going to be long and they are going to be lean. And when you got guards that go 6-3 and up, uh, you can make life difficult on a perimeter-based basketball team, which is this Alabama team. Uh, But with all that being said, even with a deficit of minus five in three-point shooting, Kentucky actually made nine threes compared to just four for Alabama in the game. Now, this was a three-point game with about five minutes to go Saturday. So Alabama keeps itself uh, within touch of the lead anyway, Uh, Again, mostly with grit and effort as much as anything else because it wasn't a good day shooting the basketball in general for Alabama. 36.8% from the field, just 19% from three, 7 of 12 from the free throw line. But Alabama did a couple of things well uh, that it hasn't done uh, maybe as well in, in, in the first half of this season. Didn't foul as much. 14 personal fouls on Alabama in the game. That resulted in a Kentucky team that lives at the free throw line shooting a relatively low number uh, from the charity stripe. 17 attempts for Kentucky, just 11 makes. So you sort of survived that if you were Alabama on a day in which your your bread and butter, the three-point shot, uh, wasn't uh, particularly good at all. 
uh, and didn't turn the ball over at, at a high rate. Actually, turned Kentucky over six more times than Alabama turned the basketball over. So just eight turnovers for the Crimson Tide in that game against Kentucky, 14 for the Wildcats, uh, and, and survived on the backboard. You know, a, a team again in Kentucky, when you talk about frontline talent in the post and in the front court, uh, certainly the edge would go to guys like uh, Nick Richards, EJ Montgomery, uh, Sestina, guys like that. Uh, but Alabama hung in there again with a collective effort. And some of the things that helps Alabama uh, when you look at, say, like offensive rebounds, you look at this game and you see Alabama with six more offensive rebounds. Well, I guess one of the silver linings to being a three-point shooting team, especially on a day when you don't shoot it that well, is long rebounds. So that gives you the opportunity on the offensive glass a little bit better uh, when you don't have maybe the the depth and talent uh, at some of those front court positions is, say, a Kentucky or even a Mississippi State uh, in midweek. So a one-in-one week for the Alabama Crimson Tide up next, as we all know, the undefeated Auburn Tigers on Wednesday night at Coleman Coliseum. That's going to be an 8 p.m. tip-off on ESPN2. If you've got plans to get to the arena, we certainly encourage you to do that. Needs to be an electric environment for for this team uh, that sits at one and two in SEC play. I know that Nate Oates would certainly appreciate that. And look, whether you buy into the Iron Bowl of basketball or any of those kind of descriptives, uh, it's a big basketball game. Uh, You're talking about, again, a top five team right now in the Auburn Tigers coming off a final four appearance uh, just uh, nine months ago or so. Uh, to cap that 2019 run that Bruce Pearl's team had. So should be a lot of fun at uh, Coleman Coliseum on Wednesday night. The Alabama women, speaking of Auburn and Alabama, the Alabama women on Sunday, yesterday afternoon, went down to Auburn Arena and put a thumping on the Auburn Tigers. 75-48, Christy Curry's team gets its first SEC win of the young conference season now at one and two in the league. So that's a good thing. Uh, you know, this is an Auburn team that made the NCAA tournament three out of the last four years and really hammered Alabama down on the Plains last season. So a much needed victory for the ladies of Alabama basketball. Uh, you had the trio of Jasmine Walker, Jordan Lewis, and Sierra Johnson combined for 50 points. And that's the trio, if you watch this Alabama women's team, that has to perform at a high level almost night in, night out if this team is going to have a chance to sort of be that dark horse club to challenge for its first NCAA tournament bid since 1999. That's right. It's been, well, we're going on 20-plus years that the Alabama women's program has made an appearance in the NCAA tournament. So you had a little bit of a split there. Now the Alabama ladies are going to get pretty much this next week off before traveling to Tennessee on Monday, uh, January the 20th. So there you go. Some hoops for you uh, as we move into the early stages of daybreak here on the Built by Bama online podcast. Uh, There's never a shortage of football talk on the website there at BamaOnline.com, as you know. We have been on Najee Watch when it comes to Najee Harris, the junior running back and 
there has been almost a scavenger hunt feel, like Cannonball Run or something, the old movie, maybe I'm dating myself a little bit here, uh, but how this sort of tracking system with Najee Harris, we're back to the old days of tracking planes, you know, like we did back in the day when Alabama would have a coaching change. Uh, but Najee Harris, based on social media accounts anyway, looks as if he has made his way back to Tuscaloosa. There has been a positive vibe from the perspective of, uh, of Najee Harris returning for his senior season. Um and so we continue to monitor that for you, especially right there on the roundtable at BamaOnline.com. We've talked about some of the ways in which, you know, this thing could go a couple of different ways. And, you know, the vantage points that you take in terms of Najee's uh, NFL stock uh, coming back, what can he do to really improve on that? You know, what could his impact be on this Alabama offense, especially when you consider the quarterback transition, you consider the pieces coming back along that offensive line. You're going to have a couple of proven playmakers on the outside to sort of keep defenses from totally loading up against the passing game or excuse me, the running game and Harris, if he does come back and also what it means for that rotation, you know, Tim Watts, um, we, we've talked about that here in the, in the last few days uh, here on the Built by Bama online podcast we have. And, uh, you know, it's it's a loaded backfield, even if Jerome Ford does, in fact, go ahead and make that move on to another program, the redshirt freshman. But it also impacts, and Hank South has noted this, our recruiting analyst and our staff in general there on the roundtable, you know, Najee's decision, some of these underclassmen in general that have come back, you know, and how it can impact – potentially your early enrollees that you're trying to bring in uh, in January and then go through spring practice in March and April. And, you know, there's some things to consider there. You got to be a little bit better at math than I am for sure uh, in in terms of how that all works out. But uh, bottom line is uh, we were still uh, sort of in wait and see mode with Najee Harris. Again, the momentum seems to have been moving toward a return for the 2020 season, but uh, you know, you got until January 20th to make up your mind. Now, and you've also got to consider the academic side of this, as we've talked about, there are a couple of different dates in play that I think extend all the way into February. One of the non-negotiables I would think is you got to consider the fourth quarter program getting underway here uh, in the very near future. And so uh, I know some of the, the early enrollees you saw on social media last week, sort of the orientation video with Scott Cochran. But, you know, there's there's some things that football related, believe it or not, start to crank back up. And uh, that's that's when you typically uh, need your guys uh, pretty much all in at that point. So that's your Najee watch as we move into Monday. Um, speaking of running backs in Alabama, how about Derrick Henry? You know, Derrick Henry – after doing something that's never been done in the history of the National Football League uh, with that incredible performance Saturday night against the Baltimore Ravens in the divisional round of the AFC playoffs. Uh, huge win for the Titans up there uh, in Bmore. Derrick Henry now has rushed for 100 and 80 yards or more in three straight games. That's never happened before. Think about it this way. 
in a league dominated by quarterbacks, who is the biggest name remaining? Who is the guy that's being talked about the most right now in the NFL playoffs? You're down to a final four now after your divisional games. You know you're going to have uh, you know, the, the Titans and the Chiefs next Sunday, coming up Sunday at 2.05 Central, that game in Kansas City. Uh, you're going to have the Packers and the Niners following that game in the NFC Championship out in Santa Clara. That's going to be your 5.40 Central kickoff. But think about this. Look at the quarterbacks you've still got left in this thing. Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. And the guy moving the needle coming out of the divisional round anyway is a running back in Derrick Henry. Now, Derrick showed you, too, in the win over the Ravens that he can throw the football a little bit. What a hell of a pass there on the jump pass uh, for a score. But it just tells you how amazing this guy has been, not only just in the last couple of games, but you talk about the last eight games. I believe he's averaging a little more than 150 rushing yards. You don't do that in the NFL. You don't do that. And so it's just been an incredible stretch here for Derrick Henry. You hate it for Mark Ingram. You really hate it for Mark Ingram in that game against the Titans because he obviously wasn't healthy. You know, he had sustained the calf injury, the leg injury late there in the regular season. Even the bye week didn't seem to do a tremendous amount of good for him from that standpoint. And so you hate it for Mark Ingram. You hate it for Bradley Bozeman, Marlon Humphrey, uh, and those other Alabama guys. Uh, that are are part of the Ravens uh, organization there. Uh, Derek's great work uh, on Saturday night kind of came at their expense, but uh, what a story Derek Henry is right now uh, in these National Football League playoffs. So, again, you're down to four teams, um, and with those four teams, only one of those teams, the Niners, doesn't have an Alabama alum on their roster and you think about the Niners you automatically kind of think about what could have been with Reuben Foster think about that defense with Reuben Foster um you know a, a connected engaged uh fully capable Reuben Foster not that they've missed much of a beat uh I think uh Reuben misses the Niners probably more than the Niners miss Reuben but you know it gets you to thinking that maybe Ruben now with the Washington Redskins, unfortunately, he sustained uh, that knee injury. It's been, what, seven, eight, nine months ago now. And uh, so hopefully he comes back from that in good shape. You still got Jonathan Allen there in D.C., Deron Payne. What if the Redskins draft Chase Young of Ohio State there to go to a defensive end spot? Montez Sweat, the former Mississippi State defensive end, is up there. Sean Dion Hamilton, Ryan Anderson, Landon Collins. You know, you get Reuben Foster healthy. It's not crazy to think that perhaps that Redskins defense could uh, ascend to a level not that far away from what we've seen of the Niners of late. Niners are just so good. And we talk about that first college football playoff national championship game, by the way. And you got to go back 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You got to go back to 2015. Uh, but DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, those were a couple of your starting defensive linemen for the Oregon Ducks in that 2015 college football playoff national championship game. You had Joey Bosa starting at end for Ohio State in that game. Well, his little brother Nick would come along, as we know, a little bit later. Uh, and now you've got. Nick Bosa, Armstead, and Buckner together on that San Francisco 49er defensive line. It's uh, it's nasty, to say the least. And Quentin Dial, by the way, another former Alabama player who had a nice little stretch there with the San Francisco 49ers. So the NFL Final Four is set. you got three teams with Alabama players still alive, of course, Derrick Henry, as great as he's been with the Titans, uh, we we would be uh, remiss if we didn't mention Rashawn Evans and how far he's come in year two up there in Nashville. He's been outstanding. He's kind of been almost the Derrick Henry of that defense in some ways. Now, don't get me wrong. When you do what the Titans did Saturday night, you know, even though Lamar Jackson accounted for what, over 500 total yards in the game, you know, to get off the field, whether it was fourth down, uh, whether it was producing takeaways, uh, the Titans were just great on defense Saturday night. And the controlled approach that their defensive front took to Lamar Jackson, uh, it was outstanding all the way around. Now, the Chiefs, you've got Reggie Ragland, former Alabama linebacker uh, there in KC, and Garrick Dieter. Uh, who came to Alabama for the one season as a grad transfer. Gary Dieter is a member of the practice squad uh, with the Chiefs. And the Packers, J.K. Scott handling the punting for the pack. And Tim Williams, the former Alabama outside linebacker, pass rush specialist of uh, some note, uh, is uh, a member of the Packers practice squad. So that's where you're at from the Alabama flavor with these final four teams in the NFL playoffs um so let's talk a little bit before we get out of here about uh this college football playoff national championship game tonight (sighs) i like that clemson has been there largely as a staff intact all these years now jeff scott is going to leave the clemson staff to go take over as the head coach uh at south florida uh after this game tonight Uh, but so much continuity there uh, for that Clemson coaching staff. And I like that Clemson has a national championship quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. I like that Trevor Lawrence goes into this game once again as the other guy because Joe Burrow, of course, of LSU, is your Heisman Trophy winner. So, you know, I think that Clemson offensively has the pieces you need to really give LSU a lot of problems. And I think 
so many times we go back to X factors and, you know, we talk about wide receivers and we talk about guys more so these days in the passing game. But I think Travis Etienne can have a game against LSU similar to what Najee Harris had against LSU back in November. So I, I think that's as good as Etienne is, he gets kind of overshadowed because of T Higgins, because of Justin Ross, because of Trevor Lawrence. But when you've got that kind of guy to go along with everything else that the Tigers have on offense, that's a big, big deal. And I think Clyde Edwards Elaire is the same type of guy for LSU at the running back position. I think where it's hard for me not to pick LSU in this game is the fact that I think I think LSU has a dynamic pass rusher in Caleb on Chason, not to mention that Michael Divinity, who had left the team, was suspended, whatever, there for an extended stretch, is back just in time for the national championship game. I think that LSU has a better chance of affecting the quarterback without blitzing. Although Dave Aranda, like Brent Venables, he's not afraid to bring some extra people in the pass rush. Um, And so that's my question with Clemson on the other side. It's twofold with Clemson. Can Clemson get pressure on Joe Burrow with just four guys? And if it can't um, and, and it doesn't get there, when it brings that fifth guy or brings the extra guy in the pass rush outside of the corners for Clemson, I think, I think, I think Clemson's fine at the corner spots. Uh, The problem with LSU is this year, starting this year, every other year, it, it wouldn't be that big a deal, but this year with Joe Brady coming in and impacting that passing game, like he has and maximizing the talents of, those top three wide receivers. And that's before you get to Thaddeus Moss emerging at tight end and Edwards LR uh, and what he can do from a scrimmage yard standpoint at the running back position. I, I understand Isaiah Simmons can, can cover for a lot of warts uh, that you have in, in your back seven for Clemson. But I just think some of those matchups and and look what we've seen more and more this year around college football. You saw it uh, in in pro football over the weekend uh, slot receiver matchups with nickelbacks or safeties there in those uh, sort of one on ones and those wide receivers, those dynamic slot wide receivers are so difficult to deal with. And I think that Kerry Vincent Jr., of LSU at what is the equivalent of LSU star position has a better chance to hold up than, than what Clemson's version of that will have when LSU is on offense and has that matchup in the slot and really across the board from a playmaking standpoint. I, I, I'm going to pick LSU. I think it's going to be a fun game. I'm not underselling Clemson at all. I'm not putting a lot of stock at all into the game being played in New Orleans. I know we heard Dabo talk about that uh, in the last couple of days. Look, you know, you went down there. If you went down there in January 2012, yeah, I mean, it was more of an LSU crowd in the Superdome that night. But this isn't this isn't a, a you know a, a, a legitimate home game where LSU gets 
you know, 90% of the tickets and Clemson gets 10% of the allotment. Uh, I think Clemson people have had the advantage, actually, because of Clemson's affiliation with the ACC and knowing that there was a great chance that Clemson was going to be in this game as early as last summer. In fact, I know some Clemson people who went ahead last summer and made reservations in New Orleans. And when they told me about it, I said, why wouldn't you? I mean, there, there's no one in the ACC that's that's going to prove as, as much of a, a road bump. Now, look, you know, the Ohio State game was was tight and certainly could have gone either way. But Clemson's where we all expected Clemson to be. Um, so I, I, I don't think the crowd ratio is going to be that overwhelming in LSU's favor. I, I just hope for a great football game. Um, it's going to be weird because it's not going to involve Alabama for a change. Uh, but I think LSU will have a little too much, specifically in those matchups I talked about, whether it's pass rush uh, and those, you know, those, those uh, complimentary type DBs that aren't complimentary anymore. You can't hide a slot corner anymore. You just can't do it. These, these, coordinators are too good um you've got these quarterbacks that are too good uh you've got three and four wide receiver sets that can absolutely isolate those weaknesses and uh i think i think lsu has a little bit of an edge uh in that department on monday night so there you go that's just about gonna do it for bol daybreak on this monday uh, great stuff on the website, by the way. Get over to BamaOnline.com. We're going to start transitioning more and more into some recruiting talk as we move forward here. Uh, Alabama trying to put the lid on another outstanding class for the 2020 cycle. Still got some big, big names out there uh, and some new names for that matter. In fact, you're going to see that start to show up, it appears, more and more with a couple of the weekends in which you're going to see some official visitors make their way to the capstone. And obviously, we're going to keep you as in tune with the Najee Harris situation as we possibly can. Uh, you've got, as we've talked about before, you got some spring sports that are upon us. Kirk McNair of our staff with an excellent write-up from the first official practice for Patrick Murphy and his Alabama softball team on Sunday. I got by there, actually. Watched a little bit of the end of practice on Sunday and uh, extremely talented club Murph's got. He's got four pitchers and any of the four, just about any SEC team would love to have as their number one, maybe number two, uh, led by Montana Fouts, who might very well be the, uh, the the top pitcher or a top three pitcher in all of college softball this year for sure. Uh, Sarah Cornell back in the circle, Crystal Goodman back in the circle, Alexis Kilfoyle, uh, a player that Merce very high on both as a pitcher and as a hitter. Um, so a lot of good things coming up with both Alabama softball, Brad Bohannon, uh, with his next Alabama baseball team expected to take a nice step forward in 2020. So a lot on the horizon for you, and we got it covered for you at BamaOnline.com. Thanks for joining us here on a Monday edition of BOL Daybreak. We'll do it again on Wednesday.